Welcome to Zero Broke Girls. I'm Jules. And I'm Joe. We started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their money. We think the first step is to simply start talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're so grateful you've joined us for this week's episode. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode where Joe and I had the privilege of speaking with Day, who was an absolute blast. Day is a certified public accountant or CPA based in Washington, D.C., and is the founder and CEO of Pachira Financials, where she offers bookkeeping, tax, and financial advisory services. Pachira Financials was specifically created because Day is passionate about financial literacy and wants to help more people generate wealth and experience financial freedom. She is especially passionate about helping individuals and small businesses in low income and communities of color. In just two years, Day was able to successfully build a $1 million real estate portfolio. She shares her story on how she got started in real estate, and it is a pretty great story. She also shares numerous tips and advice when it comes to real estate, such as house hacking. Day has been money-minded from a very young age and has some great stories and advice to help you with your money. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited that you're here. James, thank you for having me. Super, super excited. <laughs> so something we ask everyone um, as we get started um, that we were hoping you might be able to share with us is, do you remember some of your first or early experiences with money? Um, yes. <laughs> I am an accountant, so I'm about to get really nerdy. Um, love but it. I always, love it. <laughs> I've always wanted to be an accountant and um, money was always something that I just always took really seriously. So when I was a kid, I used to um, save my lunch money. <laughs> I would save my lunch money, then I would like sell pencils. Like whenever someone needed a pencil, I'd be like, it's a quarter. And I would save it all up. And at the end of the week, I would go to like on the little shopping spree at the gas station and get a ton of candy. (laughs) What did you eat for lunch? Or was it like the change you had left over? I don't even know. Like, I don't remember. I feel like maybe I was just eating other people's lunch or just... (laughs) I don't really even Secretly, know. Secretly, like, bringing <laughs> food. Remember, like, just, like, snacks or cookies just or something. Just hustling. I was just hustling, man. I just remember That's that incredible. And I actually got in trouble because the teacher stopped, started telling me that I had to eat lunch and I couldn't save my lunch money anymore. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you just, yeah. you were just straight hustling from, like, seven, eight? Like seven, eight years old, like, telling people, you need a pencil? 25 cents. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. That's amazing. Yeah. So did your parents talk to you a lot about money? Like, no, that's a really young age to oh, be aware. Yeah. That's a huge, like, it's such a big contradiction because my mom um, grew up single immigrant mother. Um, she actually was not, I don't feel like she was as knowledgeable about money. And I think primarily because we were in a different country, different systems, things like that. Um, so definitely she did not talk to me about money at all. Um, and I learned money from just my own personal learning and stuff like that. But I felt like financial literacy was so important because I felt like I saw my family make a lot of missteps, my own mom make missteps. And when you're younger, there's only so much you can really do and so much you can really say. You're not the one controlling the purse purse strings. But even at a younger age, like when I was in high school, I think was when it really started to register to me that I was like, okay, I don't think my mom is really handling the money the best way. <laughs> Sorry, mom, if you listen hear this. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, you know, it really started to register to me that, you know, there might be some better ways to work with money and use money. And when I actually left high school and I left my mom's house and I went to college, that was when I was able to actually start making my own financial decisions. And that was when my life really just changed exponentially. That's amazing. Cause I feel like so many people pick up these, you know, money stories or money habits from their parents. And I feel like it's incredible. You were able to be like, no, I don't think that's the right way to do it rather than just kind of do the same thing as your mom, which I, yeah, think, I think happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And that's so important because we, we learn about money from the home, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. financial literacy is not taught in school, something I'm really hoping to try to change in the future, but it's not. So you learn about money, which is one of the most important aspects of your adult life through your parents. And if your parents didn't know much about money, then you're not going to know. And it's just, continues this cycle. So you see like a lot of people who are actually like um, first generation, like millionaires or whatever, um, or self-made millionaires, they did not take that same path that their parents took. There was usually something different that they did to kind of break that cycle. Because if you come from money, it's easy to make more money to, you know, because your parents had money, they probably put you in good schools. They probably have really good credit. They probably opened up bank accounts for you at a young age. You know, just so many different caveats. Graduate without a ton of student debt, probably. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So did you grow up, I think, on your profile, you're in Washington now? Yeah, so I'm in Washington, D.C. And um, I grew up in the DMV area. So we call it DMV, which stands for D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, because it's like D.C. is obviously so small. Mm-hmm. I can literally be in all three states. At, well, D.C. isn't a state, but I can be in all three at the same day. It's like they're like right, you know, there. So I grew up in that area. I lived in Baltimore until I was about 11. And then I moved to northern Virginia um, where I went to high school. I actually went to college at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Um, and then I went to I lived in North Carolina for about a year. I went to Wake Forest University for grad school. And then I officially settled in D.C. afterwards. Amazing. Oh. So at college, I'm assuming you studied some sort of accounting degree. And then what did you do? When did you start Pachira Financials? I, you know, I graduated master's in accounting, got my CPA, actually started in auditing. So I was auditing large corporate um, clients, um, public and private companies, really large companies that on the New York Stock Exchange and stuff like that. Really high stress kind of job because, you know, the audit has to be done. We got to submit the ports to the SEC, stuff like that. So um, I did that for a little bit and then I transitioned to consulting. And I actually started um, Pachira Financials last year and I officially started accepting clients this January. And it has Congratulations. just been, Thank you. Yeah, it has been amazing um, the amount of people that have reached out to me and the amount of people that I've been able to help. And um, the main reason I started Pachira Financials was because... I'm like, I'm helping these old guys at work in corporate America make money and I could be helping my community, you know? And when I purchased my first home, that was when I really, really realized like, okay, financial literacy is so important in our communities. I didn't even realize how much people didn't know about finances. It's scary. Until I actually started doing this, I was like, oh my goodness. Like I'll have my clients say, I'm so glad you're here. Like, oh my God. Like, I feel like I'm a financial therapist sometimes because I'll have clients that just like, they're they're like, my, my finances are just a mess and I don't know what to do and they're stressed and, you know, it can really impact your life. A hundred percent. Oh. So are you doing mostly personal finance services or what, what are you doing with Pachira? Yeah. So we basically offer bookkeeping, tax, financial planning, and then I also do some um, digital products on our website. So, oh, uh, cool. 
obviously the tax is probably the biggest segment of our business because everyone has to do taxes, individuals and businesses. Um, we had a pretty successful tax season, um, which was really nice. And then we also do bookkeeping. And I'm trying to focus a little bit more on bookkeeping because when I did taxes for people, most of my clients, you know, some of them own real estate, some of them have small businesses. And what I realized is that they're, they're, books were a mess. So when we were trying to do their taxes, it was like really hard. Everything was a mess. You know, it just wasn't as seamless. So I'm definitely trying to loop people into that finance space, like through their bookkeeping, like yearly, like monthly bookkeeping, because a lot of people don't even know that how important that is. A lot of people don't even know they own businesses. Like you'd be surprised people who own really lucrative businesses, just they'd have no idea what's going on with their money or anything like that. So definitely trying to offer up more bookkeeping services for people. And then obviously keeping the taxes going. And then um, sometimes people do reach out um, for financial planning and budgeting. If they're looking to maybe purchase a home or they maybe have a higher paying job and they want to know what to do with their money and things like that. And what, what got you interested in real estate from an investment perspective? Yeah. So real estate was, I never really, expected that I would be a real estate investor. I always wanted to own a home. So growing up, you know, we didn't ever own a home. We moved around a lot. So I never really had a home. I don't have, I never had like that childhood home and everything like that. And then also just the cost benefits of it. Living in a high cost of living city, I was paying so much for a small little studio, 500 square feet. I was paying so much money. And I was like, this makes no sense. For me, it was just mainly just to buy my first personal home. And that was the main reason why I got into it. The experience that I had purchasing my first home was amazing. And I feel like, well, I am a CPA. I just don't want to, out there. <laughs> I don't want to be like sharing people false dreams. But um, I was able to get like a really good deal. And I was really able to be really strategic. And I was able to house hack. And I realized how lucrative real estate really is. You say house hack? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So house hacking is what I did with my first home. I, I don't even know what is house hacking. Yeah, yeah. So house hacking is basically where you purchase a home and then you rent out parts of your home. Like you can like rent out, like if you have like a two bedroom, you might rent out one of the rooms or you might rent out the basement so that you have a tenant that's paying some of your mortgage. And if you're strategic enough, your tenants could pretty much be paying all of your mortgage and then you'll essentially be living for free. So for me, housing- And be building equity in the house. And be building equity in the house, exactly. So for me, housing costs are- your biggest cost for most people, your housing, your rent, your mortgage, that's your biggest cost. And so for me, I felt like if I was able to take that cost away, I would be able to save a ton of money. So on my first home, I had um, a roommate, my one of my good friends moved in. Um, and the, the goal was to have two roommates. I only had one at the time. So I had to like try to renovate my basement and try to get someone else in there. But when I was able to get two roommates in there, I was actually paying only $200 a month for housing costs after my roommates paid their rent. So it was amazing the amount of money that I was able to save while house hacking. And because I was able to save that money, it helped me purchase my next property. So house hacking can be really key. And you're also, not only are you building equity, like they're paying your mortgage and you're building equity in your home, but then your housing costs are like diminished <laughs> by a lot. Right. You can save up for another down payment. Exactly. So so then your second property, did you, was that more just for investment purposes? Yeah. Yeah. So Bank of America, as of the time of this release, I don't know if they will still have this program. They had a grant program, about $17,000 that they're giving out. You do not have to be a first time home buyer. 
So originally I wanted to buy an investment property in Baltimore because DC is just so expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I can't afford DC. But when I heard about that grant program, um, I didn't income qualify in the Baltimore market because I made too much, but my income qualified in the DC market. And I just felt like $17,000 was a lot of money that I did not want to lose out on. So I was like, well, I do want to eventually buy more properties anyway. So I'll just go ahead and buy my second property in DC now and buy the Baltimore property later and take advantage of this amazing opportunity. So that was the biggest um, push for me was getting that grant from Bank of America. (laughs) And was it, it's a grant, so you don't have to pay it back. No, no. So it was $7,500 towards closing costs and then up to $10,000 towards down payment. Just to get help more people get into the housing market? Yeah. yeah. I mean, interest rates were low. Banks are pretty much throwing money at people. I mean, I got an amazing rate. Um, Yeah, I got an amazing rate and I feel like I got an amazing deal. So I was like, I'm going to take it. That's amazing. (laughs) So you purchased a million dollars in real estate in two years. Is that those two properties that you were just talking about? Yeah. So I can break down kind of like how that whole thing started and how I was able to build that that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, nice. I, so I purchased my first home um, about two years ago. And that one, at the time when I purchased it, I think it was like $335, um, which in DC is pretty good. I don't know what markets you guys are in, but DC is very expensive. Um, so it was actually a, a home previously owned by an elderly lady. She was like, the old. Best. she lived there for 60 years. Wow. Her family just kind of wanted to get rid of the house. No renovations had been done. There were green car. There was green carpet. You know, there was just like it oh, was the best. Old, Everybody's yeah, grandma was, had that green carpet. Exactly. It was green carpet. The bathrooms weren't renovated. You know, it just wasn't renovated. But the main thing that really sold me on the house was the kitchen addition. I guess when she got older, I think she had um, dementia. Or she was like, you know, getting dementia or something like that. Her son said that she built a kitchen and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> And they came to the house and there was a kitchen built. And he was just like, don't know why she did that. But I was like, that kitchen is why you're selling this house. Because there is no way I could find a kitchen that big in the city, <laughs> like in a, an affordable home. So it's like a really big kitchen addition with an island and all that. So that's really what wow. sold me on the house. Um, when I look for properties, floors, paint, stuff like that, that's easy to fix. But the things like the kitchen, the bathrooms, those things are expensive. So if the bathrooms and the kitchen are okay, then it's like green carpet. I can get new carpet. Yeah. Walls, I can paint the walls, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for me, that was a huge selling point. The thing is, so here's where I think things really took a turn with that deal was that there was radiators in the home. It was old. And I told my agent, I said, I don't want radiators in my new home. Like that's a no-go for me. Um, I just felt like, you know, it's 2020. Well, at the time it was like maybe 2019 or whatever. I was like, I cannot have radiators in my home and so he was like well uh they said maybe you could ask that they install central air and I was like okay and of course I put that in the offer and of course they declined like we're not installing central air for you (laughs) doesn't hurt to ask I was gonna say wow (laughs) right no 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 listen it gets better and then my agent he's like no you know day I don't really think it matters you know it's like fine like you know and I was like "Mm -mm." I did not want a home with a radiator so I really just put that was a hard stop for me a week later my agent calls me and he goes, Hey, they, they, um, they decided to accept your original offer. And I was like, <laughs> no way. I was, I was going to give up. Like, honestly, I was like, I don't even know if I have enough money to buy a house. This is too much. I was in the middle of busy season. I was like, I just can't do this. And you know, I didn't think it was possible, you know? And so they decided to install the central air. Now a tip I would say 
when purchasing a home, you get a lot more negotiating power if the seller has paid off the house because they lived in that house. That was their childhood home. You know, they lived in that house for, I mean, she owned the house for 60 years, so it was paid off, you know, and I think that that helps when you don't have to pay a bank and, you know, wait for your money. Cause when at the closing table, the lady, she just gave him a check for however much the different, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars gave him a check and he grabbed his check and he went up out of there. So, you know, I think that one that was probably had something to do with it. They were probably like, whatever, because the house is paid off. They're going to get all of that money. Um, they wanted to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, motivated to sell. They were motivated to sell it. It had been vacant for like a year since she passed away. Okay. I had financing already ready. 30 days. We were closed. And I think that's more where he was like, okay, you know, let's just go ahead and get this done. What I think is really cool about that story is that there were other people interested, but you like held your guns on what you wanted and you were willing to walk away. And then they just came back to you. Like real estate is badass. That happened on my second property as well. I walked out. (laughs) And they came back. The story is not over. Maybe you should be a negotiation coach because (laughs) I feel like. I kid you not. My real estate agent, after I bought my second property, he was like, day, find me a house day. And I'm like, that's (laughs) yes. You know, so. Agent um, you. Yeah. yeah, so long story short, they paid for closing and they paid for the central air. Because oh. they were installing central air, they had to rip up all the floors, they had to rip up the walls, they had to do duct work. So I got all new floors, <laughs> all new walls. I got um, recessed lights. So it looks so different, looks so different. And so I purchased mine for $335 and my neighbor purchased theirs for $370. Theirs was newly renovated, like fresh, newly renovated, like a flipper, you know, an investor had probably purchased it, flipped it, sold it, you know, so theirs was newly renovated. So I already felt pretty comfortable with the price I was paying because I'm like, hey, you know, my home is pretty similar to theirs now because now it's nice and renovated. And Mm -hmm. I paid a little less for it. And I have a kitchen addition that no one else in the neighborhood has. So I'm like, this is great. This is a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, you know, COVID and everything just kind of happened. And my property skyrocketed in value. Wow. Skyrocketed. Like, skyrocketed. <laughs> Homes now, my neighbors who bought their home for 370 they actually just sold it for, um, they sold it a couple, like a month or two ago for 475 or 465 or something like that. Wow. So... Super ecstatic on my end. I'm like, this is great. So um, the other thing I do want to note about my first property is that I was able to get a home equity line of credit. This is huge. And this actually, I did not, I have not touched my home equity line of credit, but I like knowing that it's there and it gave me the confidence I needed to be able to purchase my second property. Because I feel like- Can you explain what a home equity line of credit is? Yes. So a home equity line of credit is basically- getting a line of credit from the bank against the equity in your home. So like the best way to think about it is to use an example. So my home, I had purchased it for 335. Obviously within a year, it skyrocketed to over 400,000 worth, something like that. Banks, as long as you're, you're, um, banks like to see that your debt ratio is about 90%. So like your debt to value ratio, like, well, most, I've seen places do 80%. But um, sometimes 90%. So basically, like if you have a $100,000 home and you have an $80,000 mortgage, your debt to value ratio is like 80%, right? Because you have 80%, $80,000 in debt, $100,000 home, 
you know. So if you have more equity in your home, like for example, you have a $100,000 home, but you only have a $50,000 mortgage, the bank will let you take out a loan up to the 80% loan to value amount. So some banks do 100%. Like if you have a home that's worth 100, you have $50,000 mortgage, they'll let you take out an additional $50,000 loan for the full value. Or some banks will say you have to maintain 10% equity or 20% equity or whatever the case may be. So if the bank is saying you have to have 80% loan to value, then if your house is worth 100,000, your mortgage can't be more than 80,000. So it just depends on there. So for me, obviously I had a lot of equity in my home. I was able to get a $40,000 home equity line of credit um, based on the equity in my home. Now, to be clear, this is not just free cash. It is a loan. It is still debt. So I do like, a lot yeah, of credit. It's, yeah. it's like a credit card. It's, you can it's, just it's, use it's, it. And it's, yeah, no. Free money. However, it is very unique. A home equity line of credit, you only pay interest for the drawdown period. So a home equity line of credit is usually about 30 years. Um, so for the first 15 years, you can take out as much as you want and you only pay interest. You don't have to pay any principal. Then after 15 years, you hit the payback period. So once you hit the payback period, you can no longer make, make draws from the credit line and you must start actually paying back what you have put in. You do right. have to be very, very careful because like I said, that comeback period is going to come. We're going to have to start paying it yes. back. So if you do, if you have taken out $50,000 in home equity line of credit and you've spent it all and you're just paying interest, that's great. It's like, it's like probably really cheap. You're going to have to pay that back eventually. So I just want right. to throw that out there. But interest rates tend to be lower than like your typical line of credit or yeah, credit yeah, definitely lo lower than credit cards. But. Oh, definitely lower than credit cards. Um, And it just really depends. You can also do a cash out refinance. So there are like two types. So I refinanced my home when interest rates got low and that's when I got mm -hmm. my home equity line of credit. You can do a cash out refinance, meaning like you can take out, like if you have a hundred thousand dollar home, your mortgage is $50,000. You can refinance. So now your mortgage is $75,000 and you get $25,000 back in cash or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, so you can do that. I decided to do the home equity line of credit route because with the cash out refinance, you're, the cash that you take out is being lumped into your mortgage loan and your mortgage payments, right. regardless of whether you use that cash or not. I didn't feel like I really needed the home equity line of credit. I just like to know that it's available for me if I ever needed it, you know, especially being in real estate. You know, I just like to have it as a backup. And that's what debt should be. Debt should never be what you were banking on. I did not yeah. rely on that home equity line of credit to purchase my next property. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I just, you know, if anything goes down, I know that it's there. They always say like, you should get that credit line before you need it. Exactly. Exactly. And I just felt like having two properties, having two mortgages, it was important for me to have liquid assets that I could access if, if needed. Sure. Um, but I try my best not to touch it. I haven't touched it since I got it just because I just like to live, you know, at my means and I try not to go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was also huge. So when I purchased my second property, i didn't mind putting up so much money for it because I knew that I had a bit of a cushion. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's really interesting too. Like I've never really been into real estate. We've talked to a few folks on here who are either real estate investors or it amazed me. It still does. Even just listening to you, all the options that are out there that you don't even know exist. Like in my mind, it was like, okay, you need a house you need a 10% down payment, then you just pay off the mortgage for 30 years. Yeah. 
I had no idea that you have fixed or variable interest there's, rate over. Right. <laughs> yes. There's so many other ways to then leverage that asset to either take more out, create other income streams. Yeah, I think real estate is so key for me. I would rather invest in real estate than invest in a stock or anything like that because this is it's literally real property. It's real property. It's like real life. Like you can actually touch it, you can feel it, I can go you to my can feel it. Yeah, if, if the world were to go to crap tomorrow, I can just go and my, all my family will gather into our little houses. <laughs> at least we have somewhere to live. At least we shelter. Yeah, at least it can continue to provide us value, you know. Um so yeah. But it is also just important to be really strategic. And something I also noticed, maybe because I am a CPA, sometimes the lenders, like, I would have to, like, correct them on the numbers. Like, um, I need you to, like, redo this. <laughs> oh, like, my gosh. It's like, insane. Or she'll be like, oh, you're right. Not really. I'm like, yeah. Take that back. You know, so. It's so like, important that people double check, triple check the numbers they get from anyone exactly anyone who's selling you anything or responsible for your numbers you also need to check them and you need to understand them there's always a risk of human error you know there that's just always there is it's just always i mean that is what it is and i do think that being able to make these strategic deals it helps that i am a cpa well and even just the confidence you probably have like knowing right like Mm -hmm. you know that you can check it i think for a lot of people they get really overwhelmed with numbers and they wouldn't even know the first place to to even know how to check it right so they just have to trust almost what they're given yeah when i first started purchasing my home or looking for my first home my real estate agent he was telling me all right don't look at the numbers don't try to do the numbers yourself and i'm pretty sure that's what he told all of his clients because they get so confused or they get wrapped up with the numbers or they don't know or they do it incorrectly or whatever but i was like no 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 (laughs) i want to see the numbers (laughs) and i think after a while he realized like oh okay yeah (laughs) Because I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to see all the numbers. (laughs) But that's what's so frustrating. Like, I feel like there are some, I would say, like, agents that probably are passionate about, like, financial literacy and want to help educate. Like, if no one's going to, if you're overwhelmed and no one's going to take the time to sort of break it down and make you understand how it works and what the numbers mean, like, you're never going to learn. So, well, it's also like, it's such a significant investment, any type of real estate. You have to take the time to find a professional who will explain it to you so you can understand. It's so risky otherwise. It really is. It really is. Um, So that's just what I think really helped me being that I am a numbers person. I could, you know, analyze Mm -hmm. the costs and the benefits and stuff like that. Yeah, that's so important to remember. Such great advice. So on the topic of, you know, properties increasing in value with COVID, what would you say to someone who may fear that there could be a market correction or a crash and so they're reluctant to get into real estate currently? Yeah, I mean, those types of things, you can never really predict, you know, if there's going to be a crash or anything like that. Um, what you can really just do is do your own analysis based on your location, how much you make, um, how much you can afford in a mortgage and stuff like that, because I wouldn't look at it as, well, let me just get this house and like that I can't afford or something like that. Like if you get a house that you can afford, even if the market crashes, unless you were trying to like flip it, unless you're trying to sell it. I mean, if the market crashes tomorrow, I'm just going to stay in my house and continue paying my mortgage. (laughs) My mortgage is not going to change. You know, it's different. Long term, it'll go back up. Exactly. It's it's different if you have like a variable interest rate and stuff like that, which is riskier. But, Mm -hmm. um, But generally, it just depends on like what market you're in what the area looks like. Because me personally, I feel like how is the market going to crash if there's a market, if there's a housing 
shortage. You know, like there's really just, yeah. I mean, there are people waiting in line to purchase homes. Like it's like lumber is so expensive now because like there's just lumber is insane. Crazy, crazy expensive. I just got a new fence and I'm like, really? <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, it's like, I personally feel like it's about that housing shortage. So like before you invest in a home, you really just want to make sure that the location is ideal one, two, that you can afford it, even in an economic downturn. Like, look at COVID. So many people lost their jobs who maybe didn't even ever think that that would happen, you know? And and what if you lose your job and, you know, your mortgage is due, you know? So just making sure that regardless that you have ample savings to like really cover any unexpected costs and that the location is really strategic because that is key. Because the location, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can have a half a million dollar home. If it's in the middle of nowhere, Unless you plan on really yeah. just living in it forever, you know, like what, how much, how much value can it really provide? So you obviously are self-made. You've worked towards everything you have yourself. What would you say to someone who has decided or who is deciding that they want to do that for themselves? Yeah. What, what was your first step? What could their first step be? What did you? Yeah, I highly, the biggest thing I would say is stop living above your means. And I feel like we live in a society where it's okay to like put things on credit cards or it's okay to be like, oh, I need this, I need that. You know, something I didn't mention was before I purchased my home, actually, when I first graduated from grad school, I had $400 in my bank account. You know, my scholarship money had dried up. You know, <laughs> like it was done. I graduated. That was it. <laughs> you know, I wasn't getting anything else. So I had $400 in my bank account. I remember I put all my stuff in my car. I went to my mom's. I stayed there for like two weeks found some roommates, had to get a credit card just to like get my first apartment. Well, not my first apartment, but my, like my new apartment as a full after, after college, after school. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and I remember I was sleeping on an air mattress on the floor and I didn't, I could have, I mean, I had a job, right. But my job started August 15th and I finished school in May. So there was like no income, (laughs) you know, it was just like, it was just, I had to start right away because I was like, I, I don't have money and I don't have family or that I can just support that will support me and will give me money and stuff like that. So I, you know, I did that. I could have gotten a credit card. I could have furnished my room. I could have got a credit card. Come on. Like I think I could have, but I didn't, I didn't do that. I slept on the mattress on the floor until I got my first paycheck. And then I paid off the credit card that I used to forget the apartment. And then I actually then started getting furniture and stuff like that. But I feel like I've always been in that space of stop living above your means. If you don't got it, you don't got it. You know, and that's why when it's like, oh, you were just willing to walk away. Well, yeah, because I didn't have it. It didn't make sense for my money. So I didn't want to push it. And you're so wise. Like, <laughs> I know I'm like, oh, <laughs> Man, you should be a, you should be a speaker. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but maybe I'm, I, I'm thinking of doing more like speaking engagements. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I, um, yeah, you know, that's just the life that I live. And I feel like it's also because we grew up, we didn't have much growing up. So I'm used to not having much. So for me, it's like, whatever, I'm cool. You know, I can, I can live my life as long as I got food, you know, roof of my head. I don't need all that fancy stuff. You know, when I purchased my first car, it was a cheap car. You know, I know some people pay $400, $500 a month just on their car payment. Like, no, I was, I paid $160 a month. That's it. Now it's paid off and I could get another car, but I'm not. It says a lot too about you. I mean, I know a ton of people who, when they went to buy their home, they went to the bank and they got approved for whatever, like the bank will give you a lot more than they should in a lot of cases. And they were like, okay, no matter what, I'm only going to spend, you know, 80% of what they approve me for whatever. And then, you know, they go to a house, they get into a bidding war or they see something that's like slightly a stretch, but maybe I should use that. And then they end up 
just overextending. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to pull it back once you've overextended. Yeah, you're already committed, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I think just like living the, like at your means is just so ideal. Really evaluate the lifestyle that you're living and what you can afford, you know? And if you start to actually think of the cost of things as it relates to time, you'll start to really reconsider a lot of the purchases and things that you do. If you think like, if you only get paid like 20 bucks an hour, but you're spending like a hundred dollars on some, like on brunch, that's five hours worth of work that you just spent. <laughs> like, you know, and when you really start brunch. to break it down like that, yeah. When you really start to break it down like that, you really start to realize the value of your time because money is really just your time. So how much time are you willing to put in? And debt, is you giving away your future time. So it's like... Ooh, that's a great such a quote. Good way to look at it. Yeah, it is really, debt is giving, giving away, away your, your future, future time. time. Time, Money is just time. That's all you really got. Time is all you really have to offer in this world. Money is just a way to, you know, exchange that. Monetize. Yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> to, yeah, to like monetize and exchange, I mean, to exchange your time with money, you know? And so yeah. when you think about money, really just start to think about your time. And how important your time is to you in terms of what you really want to do with it. You know, um, debt is just you're using up your future time because you're going to have to pay it back eventually. So eventually you're going to have to work to make that money to pay that back. So for me, well, yeah, that plus whatever interest it plus interest and all of until you get your shit together. <laughs> so for me, it's really just not living above your means and being okay with saying like I can't get that fancy stuff. I think it's just social media and just the society we it's live so in. It's so hard. It's so expected yeah. to live a certain lifestyle. I also think there's an element of I don't know if this is the right term, but like groupthink to it. Like if you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of people who also aren't financially minded and who don't, it's not a priority for whatever reason. And they're just spending aimlessly and on whatever and whatever. It's a lot easier to fall into that versus if you're surrounding yourself with people who have similar awareness or financial goals or working towards the same things, talking about it even. Um, Which is why we think it's so important to be talking about money. (laughs) Yes, it is so important to talk about money. So, so important. But it's crazy how little we do. It's crazy how little we actually talk about it yeah. in a meaningful way. Not just like, oh, I want to buy this house, but like, yeah. how are you going to buy that house? Oh, like, What are the options you have? Oh, for real. Because I remember when I left my first like full-time job, um, I actually left because I wasn't getting paid a lot. And I didn't know because I didn't know how much other people were getting paid until one right? day, me and my girlfriends, we sat around and we actually had that honest discussion about money. And I said, we were making how much? <laughs> I need a new job. CPA. I have a mess. Like, what am I doing? And that is what really made me realize. Like, so true. And had I not had the honest conversation with my girlfriends, like with my peers about how much we were all making, would not have even known. Even And so many people don't. So many people don't. Well, it's also funny because I remember when I got hired for my first job out of school and I was doing the, like after the interview, you start talking about salary and stuff. And they said, you know, the the person who was doing the hiring said to me, you know, we're going to give you this really good offer, but we're just going to ask that you don't talk about it. Like it's, you know, we ask all the new, like, just don't talk about what you're making. And at the time I was like, okay, like, cool. Yeah, definitely. So you don't find out that everyone's making more than you. (laughs) And then like at the time I was like, of course, like, oh, it's confidential. Yeah. Like it's it's personal. Of course we won't talk about it. Yeah. And then like, I, my husband worked at the same place. So when we got together, we started talking about it. 
and I had actually gotten a pretty good deal when I started, but then I got a new job and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to negotiate the shit out of this new salary. I'm going to ask for something that I don't think they've ever given me. Blah, blah, blah. I had no idea that like I was moving sectors kind of moving to a different type of job. I had no idea what the ranges were. I didn't know. I didn't know anybody who had that job. And the people I didn't know hadn't told me how much I should ask for. So I asked for something and they, they gave it to me and I was like, oh my God, I had such a good job. And then six months in, they're like, oh, you're getting a pay adjustment because you're actually below like what's globally acceptable for your role. <laughs> I was like, what? No. Oh, no. I was so happy about it. I was so, and I, I was like, what? How is it possible? And then they, oh my God. It's like, shit. Okay, wait, yeah. what? Now when you start talking to other people about what they're yeah. making. No, that happens. No, it, it was like, I was talking to a recruiter and, and he was like, oh, you know, like, what, what are you looking for? And I gave, I was like, hey, I'm kind of looking for this amount. He's like, okay, great. Good to hear that you're flexible. Like, flexible. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, someone out here. <laughs> I changed my mind. It's so hard to answer that question, though. Like, like if you're not talking, like you start Googling and it's like, what's the average salary? And it's yeah. No, definitely. I definitely agree. I definitely saw the importance of actually talking about money and not just like financial literacy aspects, but just like, like pay and just different things. Like talking to your girlfriends, having these honest discussions, like, hey, I'm struggling with my debt. Like I was too. This is how I got out of it. You know, things mm-hmm. like that. Well, and, and yeah, like, I mean, everybody has a job, everybody's making money. And a lot of the times I have a lot of girlfriends who have changed like industries, like they were in marketing first and then they went into consulting or whatever. And often if you're choosing between two jobs, there could be drastically different, different pay structures, different earning potential. And you don't even know because how could you, because you never worked in that before. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. Yeah, it is wild. I think all salaries should be public. Really? real <laughs> like just tell us how much it is like let's just know like yeah or even in college like they're telling you oh do you want to be in accounting do you want to be in this like why don't you tell us how much those jobs pay yeah, yeah. <laughs> because... and how much we should be asking for like real skills that we need once we leave college exactly. well like I, I don't know how many info sessions i went to at business school not once did it even occur to me that there could be like an 80k range in starting salaries like that would have been great why didn't you put that in the brochure <laughs> totally so our last question is something we ask everybody and i feel like you're gonna have a good one because you were a hustler at age seven so <laughs> i don't know i don't know how much earlier you could have known but what is something you wish you knew sooner about money hmm this is a good question something that i guess i wish i knew sooner about money is that money is a really attainable. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that they can actually do certain things. Like I mentioned, I was literally two, maybe three years ago now, sleeping on a mattress on the floor with $200 in my bank account. And now I have a million dollar real estate portfolio. You know, now I have two booming businesses that are growing every day. And, you know, I just feel like sometimes people really don't take that step because they don't even know it's possible. And I'm just like a testament to the fact that you don't need to have anything. I didn't have anything. (laughs) I really didn't. I just worked really hard to try to get scholarships and, you know, try to do all that and just being strategic. But wealth is really attainable if you put your mind to it. And wealth is not reserved for wealthy people. You know, there are most millionaires are actually self-made, you know, Um, and so just always just keeping in mind that wealth is so attainable. When I actually started getting a ton of scholarships in undergrad, 
it was actually by accident. Um, I was I had I had a full ride to Howard University and that changed my life completely. Um, and I was even got lucky with that one. But I, ha- I was part of an organization that wanted us to um, apply. I was on the e-board of NABA, National Association of Black Accountants, and they had sponsors that were paying for scholarships that no one would apply to. Wow. The scholarships for accounting, Black accounting students that no one would apply to. So they required everyone on the e-board to apply to their scholarship. And they're like, yeah, it's only $1,000, $2,000, but no one really applies. So you'll probably get it. Everyone who applied last year got it. So I applied and I got it. And then I started to realize my grades were pretty good. And I started to realize, like, if I keep applying to these, I could probably get them. And so I targeted scholarships that were unique to black and brown people, unique to women, unique to people in the accounting field. And I was able to get like $12,000 worth of scholarships one year. And that helped Amazing. Me pay my housing for the next year. And it helped me afford to actually go to grad school and all of that. But then I, I didn't do that until my junior year. And I was like, dang it, had I been applying to these scholarships my freshman and sophomore year, I would have made so much more money, you know, but I just didn't even know. I didn't even know it was attainable. It, it's funny. It's like the saying like, oh, you may say you've never seen a yellow car, but as soon as you start looking, you'll see like 10 a day. Yeah. Yep. If you don't know it's out there, you're not looking for it. Exactly. And, I, and it all goes back to that financial literacy, just kind of knowing like this is this is really possible, you know, because I think yeah. when I was younger, you know, we didn't have much growing up. And I really never saw myself being where I am today. Um, and so I just I just didn't even think it was possible. I just wanted to buy a house. I just wanted to own one home. <laughs> I just wanted to hopefully be able to just own a home, not to become a real estate investor, not to do all these things. And so now um, I see that it's attainable. And even after I purchased my home, then my mom started looking around like, when are you going to buy me a home? Like, you know, like I do this, you know, and just, you know, wealth is so attainable. Um, and just always keep that in mind, no matter where you are, like in your life, whether you're young, whether you're old, you know, whether you had it all, lost it all, didn't have anything, it is still so possible and attainable. I love it. Yeah. I think it's so important to kind of like look at your mindset around money, right? Because like you may be holding on to these beliefs that you unconsciously picked up from your parents or wherever you picked them up that are just so, they're holding you back. So no, I think your story is like so inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on this morning. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I definitely wouldn't mind hopping on again or doing this another time if y'all ever have Yes. I feel like by the next time we talk, you're going to have like how many more houses with no closing fees ever paid? I know. <laughs> I'm still looking. I'm low key. I'm like, no, no more homes, no more homes. But every time I'm like, oh, you're always looking. I, I know. I, always. I see you. I see you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, amazing. And thank you. Yeah. Thanks for giving so much of your time to us today. Yeah. No so awesome. thanks for reaching out and letting me be on. I really had a good time. Oh my gosh. We love having you. Don't forget to subscribe and join us every Tuesday for a money date wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zero Broke Girls for details on upcoming episodes, how to find our guests and more. As always, if anything you hear sparks something you'd like to talk or learn about, let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to chat next week.